I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Okay, today I want to welcome Doug Thorpe. He is the founder and CEO of the Doug Thorpe Group. He is also the host of the Leadership Powered by Common Sense podcast. Doug is an executive coach and experienced business advisor of 20 plus years. He works with established small business owners to help them scale their businesses and grow their leaders. His mission is to provide you with a solid plan that helps you reach your goals quicker and easier. And it starts with Doug's unique business accelerator blueprint called Cover Your Bases. One of the things that Doug told me was people join companies and quit bosses. And his mission is to make sure that bosses aren't that guy. Doug, welcome. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be here. This has been long in the making, and uh, I'm glad we're finally doing it. I am. I mean, and, and so, you know, for for a little bit of background for the audience, you you had me on your podcast, and that was uh, wonderful. And then we launched Leaders and Legacies, and I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, so one of the things um, we were talking about, you had a, I mean, we all had unique upbringings. You had a particularly unique upbringing. Yeah. What I was explaining was that uh, I grew up the only child of a single mom. My father had passed away when I was two years old, and uh, I, I never, for all intents and purposes, got to know him. But my dear mother had the wisdom to begin at a very early age surrounding me with mentors. And the notion of having a mentor in my life, or several, became just second nature. And it, it became a lifestyle that I embraced and enjoyed and pursued that really my whole life. And, and as I was telling you in the green room, uh, I just turned 70 earlier this year, and I still have a couple of guys that I count as mentors that I talk to, and we share ideas. And sometimes I go seeking a mentor for a specific area, specific challenge on something. Other times it's just general sounding board. But uh, it's a way of life that I have found very valuable, and I encourage my clients to explore that if they've never really embraced the idea of asking a mentor or inviting someone to, you know, come into the circle and, and, and be that kind of help. So, you know, I think there were some people that are probably surprised 70 years old. You're the one that's supposed to be the mentor, but you still have mentors. So uh, what, what do these folks look like and, and what do you learn from them? Well, the, uh, the thing is for me, I, I'm also, and maybe it's directly part of that process. I consider myself a perpetual learner 
Uh, I, I've been a lifelong adopter of technologies and early adopter. Uh, I'm not afraid of the new things and I'm always uh, intrigued and curious. And part of that comes from, from these mentors and, and the fellows that I'm relying on now. They both are uh, two primarily and a third one a little bit secondary, but um, they both are very accomplished businessmen that have built and sold and closed on, you know, multi-million dollar transactions. And um, they, they've got some great experience and stories and wisdom to share. Um, at this stage of life, to, to your point, we don't always agree on everything, but, uh, you know, we, we have really good spirited and healthy debates about topics of the day and things that I should be thinking about. One of the things I find about mentor, the psychologists warn us about uh, unconscionable biases in the way we look at life and the way we um, make decisions. And, and we, we seek out information that may do nothing but affirm what we already believe. And we're, we're not really objective and we're not really curious about the other side of things. And I think that's one of the things my journey has taught me is that while I may construct an, an idea or a, a thought near to the point of making a decision, I, I want to allow the space to take in other views and other ideas that may be totally contrary to mine. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the problems that we're having in society today is we're not slowing down enough to understand the other side. Right. I you know, I heard. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree totally. I, I think that's such a such a challenge in the world today. Everybody gets real myopic of what they believe in and what they think the right answer is, but they will not engage in a healthy discussion about possibilities. You know, I heard somebody say once, and he was talking about religions. He said, if there's a, if you can make another religion look utterly ridiculous, a, a mainstream religion look utterly ridiculous, chances are you haven't understood it. And I would say, if you can make somebody that's, let, let's say, has a different viewpoint of yours look utterly ridiculous, and it's a mainstream viewpoint, maybe there's a chance you haven't understood it. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up. That's another part of my story with my pretty amazing mom. As a young child, you know, a lot of us get influenced, and this is true in households of all world religions. You're born into a family that is Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever, and that's what you're supposed to go do. And that's the faith you're supposed to pursue. My mom, on the other hand, was quite eclectic. And she pretty much told me, you know, as a young boy, I was getting invited by friends to to go to their churches or synagogues or wherever on weekends and visit. And mom's answer was, why not? You'll, you know, if you go learn, you'll figure it out. And one day when you're at the right age, you'll make a choice and, and you'll be informed and you'll be ready to do that. So... Um, I, I, I will admit, just for clarity's sake, I predominantly stayed on what is now popularly called the Christian side of things. And what I mean by that is I was I was born in a Baptist household, but I, I went to a Presbyterian church, a Lutheran church, a Methodist church, 
a, um, let's see, what else was there? I was actually a Mormon for three years. <laughs> um, I, I did a number of things. I ended up marrying a Catholic girl out of college, and uh, that honestly did not last. But uh, nonetheless, I got a view, a pretty intense view of each one of these families of faith. And my takeaway from it is, similar to your point, if, if we understand what they're really about, what I discovered, every one of them had one really golden value that was powerful. And the challenge is, if you can bring all of those together in one place, I think that, uh, you know, would be the modern church that we all should try to aspire to. And what, what we call that or what we name that, I don't know, but it's um, the reality is there's there's truth in every one of those that needs to be considered. Your mom sounds truly amazing you know, to expose you to different worldviews, to expose you to different mentors. How did she figure that out? How did what prompted her to do that? Her story was one of those that, you know, a lot of people when they are dealing with home home life, there are some very staunch extreme behaviors that either cause a child to go that same way or take a 180 degree opposite path. Um, I think in terms of alcoholism, you know, a lot of times if you grow up with an alcoholic parent, you either become one because it's somehow in your DNA and your your genetic disposition is prone to that, or you're so appalled by it, you 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 go 180 degrees opposite. You never touch a drop for the rest of your life, you know. And it, so there's some of that kind of thinking that happened to her on the religious front. Her father was a very staunch practitioner of his faith. I'm not even going to name it because I don't want to you know, disparage anybody, but suffice it to say, he was just very dogmatic about his teaching and his leaning. And in her spirit, she believed there was a bigger picture out there than everything he insisted on forcing her to believe. So she, at an early age, started exploring and essentially went the 180 degrees opposite. She she had an amazing faith. Don't get me wrong; it it, it did not diminish her desire to just seek her relationship with her Lord, but um, it it opened her lens to say, "No, you got to go figure it out on your own." Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you talked about with your current mentors, you said that you don't agree on everything. As, as you coach people to get mentors in their lives, do you, how do you handle the whole issue of disagreement? Well, I classify that in the, in the category of learning. And again, I can go back to what I said earlier. It's very risky to get so, far down a path of thought, belief, and practice that you're not willing to hear the other side of the story. One of my mentors in my early career life was a gentleman who taught me a principle, the truth is in the middle. Mm. 
And uh, in, in that case, we were always focused on some business challenges. And this was when I was in the banking world. And we were not without our own challenges, you know, in that business. But whether it was an employee dispute or a customer dispute or things like that, he was quick to always say, wait a minute, I don't think we're hearing the other side because I firmly believe the truth is in the middle. And I may not be 100% right, and you're not 100% wrong. Somewhere lies the truth, and we need to be objective about it, and we need to peel that onion and find it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I think it was originally a um, a poem or something. I've seen a painting that was a rendition of it, of the, I think it was seven blind Indians touching an elephant. They were all oh, yeah. <clears throat> touching different parts of the elephant and describing it. One described it as a mighty tree, another described, it, I think, as a you know big snake or something like that. And they're all looking at, or well, t- not looking, but touching the same thing but their own unique perspective gave them a different understanding of what they saw. Exactly. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. So what does it look like? So you're obviously encouraging businesses to uh, business leaders to uh, implement this. What what does that look like in your day-to-day working with them? Well, what we talk about, what I like to help business leaders, business owners, executives, etc., what I like to help them consider is, let's draw a line in the sand today. Let's talk about your capabilities, your experiences, and your level of performance as a leader. But let's look at the possibilities of what's the next iteration of leader you ought to be. And it's kind of like leader 2.0, you know, what would that look like and what are the possibilities? And I think it was Marshall Goldsmith who wrote a book titled, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, And that's a very profound thinking, I believe that, and it's, I see it everywhere in businesses of all sizes. You know, a lot of managers, and and for the guys I'm getting ready to talk about, I won't even call them leaders. They're they're just managers by title. They've they've risen up in their career. They've had varying degrees of success, but in reality, they've sort of capped out. They've 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 hit that plateau of what their real capability and understanding may be. They're trying to rinse and repeat and do whatever it was they used to do to create success. And they're finding it's it's not happening. It's not working. And expectations above them are different. Market conditions around them are different. And they are stuck in those old behaviors. So it's that challenge to look ahead and say, all right, given what you know about where you are, can you define the leader you think you need to be in that next iteration? And let's figure out where the gaps are and what the work is that needs to be done to get you to that next level. Yeah. And you, know, you brought out a distinction between a manager and a leader. I, you know, I think Jack Welsh used to talk a lot about that. They didn't want managers. He wanted leaders. If you were to give a definition of the difference, what would that be? Real simple. What I tell my clients is management is about process and leadership is about people. I love that. 
And the point to elaborate, uh, there are people that have made entire careers out of being what you would call a good managers. They, they got the work done. They hit the goals. They hit the numbers. They kept things working smoothly. They, they worked for process improvement. They did all of those things. But inevitably, in that scenario, if they were not sensitive to the demands of leadership, what you find is there was a lot of turnover, a lot of churn in the people side of the business. Business worked, it, it made the numbers, but people that had a, a turn working there did not give a good report. It wasn't a happy place to be. And therefore they were constantly, you know, having a revolving door going on with the people constantly retraining. And sometimes you even scratch your head and go, it's amazing you could get it done because there was no continuity in the workforce. Well, the post COVID events in, in the workforce, people are telling us all the people that do the great and amazing studies about workforce future are telling us that there's a, a seismic shift in the minds of the workforce today. And if, if you're sitting in some position of authority at an organization and you're not sensitive to what those shifts are, you're going to be missing the boat. <laughs> and, and what shifts are you seeing? Well, one of the areas that I talk about a lot with my clients is that before COVID, we used to aspire to some notion of this thing people called work-life balance. You know, I, I wanted a little bit of flexibility. I wanted a little bit of opportunity. I, I needed to uh, try to create this thing, and it was mystical, and a lot of people now agree you never got there. What I think COVID showed us with the lockdown in particular, life happens in continuity. I mean, your family life is going on while you're at work, and, and we, we had to live that in the COVID lockdown. And, you know, people were at home trying to get their jobs done, but yet their kids were there trying to get schoolwork done, and it was all going on simultaneously. So the ones that did it best figured out a way to create harmony of all of that, like something like a band or an orchestra would do and accomplish all the things. Everybody figured out how to play the right notes at the right time and make it all work. And they created that harmony. But in that mix, there were trade-offs relative to work. Uh, many, many, many stories that I heard from people saying, well, yeah, I got up at seven. I, I went to work, fired up my laptop, but then I had to quit at nine because my kid had to be online and I had to do classwork with him for two hours. And then I went back to work. And so there was this yin and yang going on. And there were managers that did not suffer that well. They, they weren't trusting employees. They weren't believing employees. And the early returns during COVID said the general productivity in America actually went up. It did not go down. Yeah. It went up because people kind of lost their sense of boundary. They, they knew they were taking time out for their family so they would make up that time on their own volition. And, you know, laptop was still on at eight or 10 o'clock at night, but they were getting it done. And all those boundaries of the eight to five or nine to four or however you look at it, all of that kind of melted away. You know, one of the things I've wrestled with 
in this now it, it affects me less it affects a lot of other companies more is the old, whole return to work thing and the you know my biggest concern about having people remote is the ability to maintain culture maintain company culture right how would you recommend that people manage that well, the runaway winner in that category to answer that question is communication. And I, I was really surprised as the whole COVID event unfolded, as, and I continued to have the opportunity to coach with executives that were struggling through this. I was amazed by one of the big questions people said is, I don't know how to communicate to my people. And I would say, what? What do you mean you don't know how to communicate? And their point was, we are remote. We have to intentionally schedule something. We don't get the door jam conversation at the office or the coffee bar chat or the water cooler chat. I don't know how to replace that in this virtual world. And I said, well, how about you ask, how about you have discussions either one-on-one -on -one or small group, ask your people how much communication they need, because I guarantee that you're going to have people on your team. Some need a little bit of touch every day. They, they need that stroke. They need that vibe. Others are going to say, I'm good boss. You know, just tell me what you need. I'll, I'll deliver. I'm good. And until you really crystallize and understand that you will not have effective communication and you will not get the opportunity to perpetuate the culture you're trying to maintain. Yeah. Well, and let me ask you about, you know, a challenge you may have faced. Was there a, you know, a time in your leadership career where uh, you were faced with a choice uh, it was a tough decision. It was a little bit of a white knuckled moment and you had to make a decision. You weren't sure how it was going to work out. What was it and how did it go? Um, for me, there was a, there was a time it, it goes back to my banking days. I was asked to, we had gone through my bank had merged with one of the New York money center banks and a decision had been made to close one of their facilities in Buffalo, New York and consolidated into my facility in Texas. And I was, as the owner of that line of business, I was the head guy in the, in the migration process. So uh, we orchestrated everything, figured out all the personnel announcements and everything. And then I, I started commuting to New uh, to Buffalo every week. I'd go to my office on Monday, spend the day, and then I'd get a five o'clock flight out to Buffalo for the rest of the week and go work up there with those guys. Well, one of the objectives, one of the necessary steps of that for success was to convince all of the Buffalo customers that nothing was going to change. They were going to get served and the move would be good for them. And it was a large portfolio, a multi-million dollar uh, book of business. So I and the team up there, we were making house calls and talking to people and doing everything. Well, we got down to the you know final countdown for pulling the trigger on moving everything. And one of the things we were doing, we were asking these customers to sign a letter of consent. It wasn't binding per se, but we just needed to know, are you in or are you out? Because that was gonna, that was gonna direct our level of effort in my Houston office. 
And we got down within days of the final deadline for that, and nobody had sent in their letters. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and um, I, was, I was feeling a, a sense of dread that, okay, my career is over. I've failed in this mission. I, everything I've tried is not working. We're going to lose this whole book of business in this migration, and it's all going to fall on me. And I literally sat in my office in Houston and I said a prayer. I said, okay, God, you, you put me in this bind and, and I've tried to faithfully perform as best I know how, but I'm feeling now it's on you. You, you, you need to, you know, influence some of this in one way or another because I don't know how to do anything different. So I made my last round of phone calls to everybody and I didn't have a particularly warm feeling after those calls. But in the next 48 hours, letters started coming in one by one by one. And we had a 95% conversion rate. 95% of the book agreed to make the move and come with us. And I'll never forget uh, the vice chairman of the bank. I called him to give him the report when I had this handful of letters uh, and had run the numbers on it. And, and uh, he said, my God, how did that happen? I said, well, I said, you and I have a disagreement on the, the notion of how faith works in business, but it was a prayer moment for me and it obviously worked. So you, <laughs> you, you make of it what you will. <laughs> uh, that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that. And um, Doug, this has been such a neat, uh, discussion and um, you know just appreciate how your mom set so many great things in motion by some wise decisions you know at your young young age uh, and I hope people will tap into some of your knowledge and resources how can people reach you the best thing to do Craig is just hop over to my website at Doug Thorpe T-H-O-R-P-E dot com all of the resources all of the links there are uh, tabs there for my blog, my podcast. You can sign up to get newsletters from me. I only send out a weekly newsletter on both channels to let you know about new releases, new content that's available. There are opportunities. If you want to uh, hop on a quick uh, discovery call, I'm happy to talk with people. No obligation, no, no heavy, hard-handed sales pitch. I just want to hear your story about what you're doing with your work. And as we said in the lead-in, uh, people join companies and quit bosses. I want to help everybody not be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I hope people will reach out to you. Thanks again, Doug. Thank you, Craig. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, 
ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.